Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your Midweek Bible Study 2023 Spring Edition. It's great to be with you once again today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It is Wednesday, March 29th. Today, we're going to continue in our study of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, and we're going to be talking about living stones. Today's scripture passage is one of the most loved in all of scripture. It begins with a blessing to God, but also describes how incredibly he has blessed us in Christ. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, our hope is not a wish. It is as alive as he is. Our inheritance as God's children is eternal, full of glory, and secured forever. Even in our suffering, we have every reason to rejoice. The mystery of God's plan has been revealed to us in Christ. We are being saved. Amen? Amen. Got a lot of ground to cover today, but before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing opportunity to continue the journey into 1 Peter. Lord, teach us what it means to be living stones, not just what they are, but how we can implement this into our own lives to give you great glory and to further the kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen and Amen. Turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, and let's talk about living stones. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. All right, let's get to it. This is going to be a great study. Starting with verse 4, once again, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Our first question today is this. What does it mean when Peter said, you are coming to Christ? Peter begins with a new metaphor here that uses Old Testament imagery to describe believers' relationships with God. Believers can constantly come to or approach Christ. The words come to don't refer to initial salvation, but to constantly drawing near and coming into Christ's presence. In the Old Testament, only the priests had that privilege. Under the New Covenant, all believers can enter into God's presence at any time with any need. But that makes me think of another question here. Do you see in that verse where it says that Christ is the living cornerstone of God's temple? 
What does that mean? Here, Peter uses imagery once again. In fact, the imagery he used was from Psalm 118.22 and other Old Testament passages quoted in the following verses, which we'll get to. And that says, again, Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Jesus had applied these words to himself when he spoke of being rejected by his own people. Peter had quoted this verse in his speech on the day of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 4. Now Christ lives and imparts life to those who believe in him. Also from Psalm 118.22 is the fact that Christ was rejected by the people. Although rejected by many, Christ is now the cornerstone of the church, the most important part. It says he was chosen by God for great honor. Although chosen for great honor, Christ had to suffer greatly, though, in order to accomplish God's will. It was his precious blood that redeemed us. So believers are also very precious to God. Peter encouraged these persecuted believers by telling them that they, like Christ, had been chosen by God. Next up, verse 5, it says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Here's the question. In this verse, Peter says, We are several things. What are they? And how do they apply to us? There are three things that jump out right from that verse for me, maybe for you too, I hope. Peter says that we are, number one, living stones. Secondly, he said we are his spiritual temple. And then he says we are his holy priests. In this verse, Peter includes believers in the metaphor about living stones. Like Jesus, Christians are living. We once were dead spiritually, but we've been made alive by God's grace through faith in Christ. We may die physically, but our resurrection is already secured by God's promise. Christians are stones as well, set aside for a specific project. God is currently building us into a spiritual house, a dwelling place for himself. In this new temple made out of the people of God, each of us also serve as priests. Under the Old Testament law, of course, the people would come to the temple where the priests would represent them to God. Now Peter writes, God's people in Christ are the temple. We are also the priests. All of the barriers between God and us have been removed. We come to our loving Father boldly, needing no other mediator but Jesus himself. Also under the law, the people would have brought sacrifices to the temple where the priests would have killed the animals and offered them to God on behalf of the people. Now in Christ, the people are the temple. We are priests. We are also the sacrifices offered to God. However, as Paul writes in Romans 12:1, we are living sacrifices. With our sin already forgiven through Jesus' death, no more blood or death is required. Instead, we offer our living bodies, every part of ourselves, as acceptable spiritual sacrifices to be used by God for his purposes. All right, next up, verse 6. It reads, as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Here's the question. Who is the cornerstone God is placing in Jerusalem, and why is that important? To support his words from the previous verses, Peter references Isaiah 28:16, which says, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. Peter affirms that Jesus is the one Isaiah pointed to, the cornerstone of the building God is completing at this very moment. 
The cornerstone served as the basis for the foundation of a structure. Its size, placement, and solidity were crucial if the building was going to stand. A good builder would invest much time and energy in choosing and shaping the perfect cornerstone. In this spiritual house, Christ is that cornerstone. This building will not fall. Those who trust or believe in Jesus will be vindicated for their faith. This is more than simply proving that believers were not foolish for trusting in Christ. It's also that Christians can be confident that God will not shame us in judgment. In Christ, a Christian's sins are covered and our purpose is clear. We are part of the house built by God, the house that will never fall. Verse 7 is next. It reads, Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Here's the question. Who are those who trust him and who are those who reject him? Here Peter states the positive. Believing in the cornerstone is an honor for Christians. Jesus is of precious value to God. As believers, he becomes our precious value as well. And through faith, we share in his honor. But for those who don't believe in Christ, who don't place their faith in him, the cornerstone serves as a different purpose entirely. Peter again references Psalm 118.22 and applies it to Christ. The builders rejected the cornerstone that God chose. Those once responsible for the house of God in Peter's metaphor are the Jewish religious leaders, the same ones who officially rejected Jesus on behalf of Israel. Jesus himself quoted the same verse when talking of those religious leaders in Matthew 21, verses 42 through 46. All right, next is verse 8. It says, And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Here's the question. Why would people stumble over the stone? Now Peter references Isaiah 8.14. Isaiah described the Lord as a rock of stumbling for Israel. Peter writes that Jesus, the cornerstone, is exactly the stumbling rock Isaiah was talking about. All who reject Jesus, who refuse to place their faith in him, will stumble over him. Why do they stumble over Jesus? What does it mean that they disobey the word? The word, as Peter has been describing it so far, is the message of the gospel. To disobey the word, then, means to refuse to believe in Jesus. Those who reject Christ as the path to God will stumble over him. He's either the way to God or the obstacle that prevents one from reaching God. John 14, 6. But that begs another question. Peter also says that people's stumbling and disobedience were planned by God. What does that mean? Peter doesn't suggest those people are not responsible for their disobedience. Simply put, the destiny of all who reject Christ is to stumble over him. Next up, verse 9. It reads, But you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Here's the question. This verse contrasts the privilege and destiny of believers and unbelievers. Can you explain? Peter uses language here that has been used to describe God's special relationship with Israel. As Israel was, we believers, the church, are also a chosen race. Unlike Israel, though, we are not a race in the sense of our family, ethnicity, skin color, or country of origin. We are a spiritual race in that sense, in Christ. We share a single spiritual father. In that same meaning, we are a holy nation, a specific group of people called out and set apart from all other nations. 
Christians together are a royal priesthood. In Israel, under the law, one tribe was given the task of serving as priests, performing the duties of mediators between God and the rest of the nation. Very few held the honor and responsibility of actually coming into God's presence. But in and through Christ, the King, all believers are priests with direct access to our fathers. We don't need any other mediator. Finally, God has formed this nation, this race, this priesthood to take possession of us. We are his people in a very real way. It's not just that we pledge our allegiance to him. It's that he has taken ownership of us. We belong to him. Why? For one, he's made us to declare his praises. That's more than just a natural response to our Father's mercy or something we should do to be polite. Declaring God's greatness is one reason for our very existence. When we praise him, we fulfill our purpose. He has called us out of the darkness of a meaningless life and an eternity apart from him into his wonderful, marvelous light. Because we belong to him, my friends, we belong to his light. Next up, verse 10. It says, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. The question is, here Peter talks about people's lives before and after Christ. What is Peter's point? Here Peter references yet another Old Testament scripture, Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. This Old Testament prophet was a living symbol of God's willingness to forgive sin and to redeem mankind. Even though Hosea's wife was constantly unfaithful, he forgave her and rescued her from a life of slavery. Like Israel, all Christians together, the church, have been changed. We have a before and an after. Before we were not a people, we belonged to ourselves and served only our own desires. But in Christ, we have become God's people. We have belonging. We have a purpose. We have a shared destiny with him in eternity. Before, we had not received mercy. We would have received the full penalty of our sinful choices. But through faith in Christ, we have received mercy. Our status has been permanently changed. Notice that both statements are in the present tense. We are not seeking and hoping to become God's people and receive mercy. In Christ, we are God's people. We have received mercy. The transaction, in other words, is complete. Next up, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. The question is, why did Peter give this warning to his readers? In this verse, Peter reveals two crucial truths about what it means to live as a Christian. First, calling his readers friends, Peter also calls them foreigners, sojourners, aliens, strangers, or exiles, depending on the translation you read. He means for them to stop thinking of themselves as locals, but as people who aren't from here. The transformation God has made in Christians through Christ is so extensive, so complete, that our hometown was changed. What used to be normal for us is now foreign. We no longer fit naturally into the thinking and practices of the world around us. We've got to not try to fit in. We'll be going home soon. But Peter admits this can be difficult. Our body wants to sin in the way that comes so naturally to humans, to those who are at home, so to speak. Peter has made it clear that we have been saved from the penalty of our sin in Christ, and we've been freed from the authority of sin. We have the ability to choose not to sin now in the power of God's Holy Spirit. In other words, we've not lost the want to sin. Even knowing its destructive power, the want to sin continues to attack our soul. Peter's not saying that we risk losing the salvation God has given us. He's saying that we are in a battle to make choices appropriate to our status as God's people. 
so he urges us to engage the battle. Don't give in. As saved, holy people in Christ, we ought to just say no to the desire of sin. And now for our last verse today, verse number 12. It reads, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. Here's the question. How should we as believers live in this world? Peter says that we will still live among unbelievers in the world. We're not isolated. We see them and they'll see how we live. He also notes that unbelievers will accuse Christians of doing wrong things. Jesus had told Peter and other disciples that the world would hate them because in part they would not belong to the world. We shouldn't be surprised then that we're falsely accused by unbelievers. However, we do have a powerful defense. We can focus on leading good lives, making good choices. Peter insists that our choice to do good deeds in the world now truly matters. One reason is that those in the world around us will notice our good works. This will trigger them to give glory to God on the day he visits us. Even as those in the world resent Christians for our refusal to participate in the sinful practices they enjoy, our good works will attract them to the Father. And that is really good news for all. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our study today, and what an amazing time it was. Here's a brief recap. Today we saw how Peter described believers as living stones who make up a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone. We learned that as priests, we're called upon to make acceptable spiritual sacrifices to God. And lastly, we learned that to those who believe, Christ is a precious cornerstone, and to those who don't, Jesus is a stumbling block. Next time, we're going to study 1 Peter chapter 2, continuing in verses 13 to 25, and we're going to talk about respecting human authority. It's going to be a great study. Hope you can join us for that. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so blessed that you could be here today. If you've missed any of the previous studies, you can catch up right here on this media platform, but I'll see you right back here next week. Until then, take care. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.